0: Popular demon slayer Greg Locke says that what he wants to see is the Dome of the Rock blown up and a third temple rebuilt so that we can usher in the coming of Jesus. While others like Jason Whitlock are showing that so many are becoming apathetic or, quote, conspiracy weary to everything that they are seeing in the news because of the nature of many of the conspiracy theories that have been proven true. and we look at the history of Israel and whether or not this war has anything to do with Christians today and whether or not we should care about what is happening between Israel and the Palestinians. Stay with us as we look at these and other stories on the 511 News. Welcome back to the 511 News. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And on today's episode, we're going to be looking at the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and whether or not that has anything to do with Christians and some of the things that are coming out from people that claim to be Christians, some that are Christians, and really what on earth is going on. But before we get into that, one of the things we want to ask you to do is click like on this video and subscribe to the Good Fight Ministries YouTube channel, as well as leave a five-star review if you are listening via podcast. And also, we have a number of other channels, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, or sadly enough, we're even on TikTok, Uh, but uh, if you want to go subscribe to us there, you can find us on there as well. And we also want to let you guys know that Pastor Joe Schimmel has finished, and actually it's been not only in production, but you can go on Amazon.com or SparkyBook.com to get a hold of the book. Sparky the Broken Mirror and this book has been just wonderful the reviews have all come in they've been amazing people being blessed by it so you guys can check it out there once again sparkybook.com but let's get right into it I don't want to uh, wait any longer I want to play some clips and a lot of people know what is going on in Gaza and in Israel and we have a number of friends that are there right now some of which literally as I am recording this I'm going to be sitting down in about uh, an hour or two with somebody who was in Israel and had to come back. Our friend Nico, who you guys might have seen a number of times doing some of the on-street interviews here at Good Fight Ministries, was there for school, and he just got home. So obviously our hearts are there, our friends Ted and Linda and other brothers and sisters in Christ that are there in Israel And are currently still there. We are praying for them uh, because of what's going on. But because of that, what I wanted to do is look at some of the reactions from different people about what they're saying and what their feelings are towards this. And then not only look at the historical perspective, but also more importantly, honestly, uh, what the scriptures have to say regarding this. So this clip right here is going to be the suggestion from somebody who goes by the term pastor, but I don't believe biblically meets the requirements of pastor. And that is none other than Greg Locke, who can be seen here telling you exactly what he wants to happen in Israel. What they ought to do is evacuate up there on the hill and get a great big missile and blow that wicked Dome of the Rock plumb off of the spot where it's standing right now so we can get that third temple rebuilt and usher in the coming of Jesus. Now, Greg Locke has a number of different requirements that he does not meet when it comes to a being a pastor, one of his, which is being pugnacious. The other is the husband of one wife because he left his wife for his secretary and also Uh, The fact that he doesn't have a good standing relationship with those outside of the church. But nonetheless, these are statements being made by him that he wants this to happen so we can usher in Jesus coming back. Well, on the surface, people might say, well, yeah, that seems to be true if we're looking at what the Bible says, um, you know, when it comes to our episunagoge, our being gathered together to him, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that first the falling away needs to happen and the Antichrist is revealed and that he's going to sit in the temple of God showing himself that he is God and so forth. And people would say, look, this is great. We could usher in the kingdom this way. Now, this is not at all what the Bible describes in terms of what Christians should be doing to usher in the return of Jesus Christ, to bring him back, so to speak. That is not at all. In fact, the Bible actually says that what we should be doing is not taking arms and hoping for more violence, but what Christians should be doing is taking the gospel to every single nation. In fact, still to this day, uh, from the last numbers I checked, over two billion people have not had the gospel brought to them in different nations. So we have a job to do. And so we are supposed to take the gospel to every nation, kindred, and tongue. And when we take the gospel to them, then Jesus would come back. When we see these wicked things taking place and we see bombings and so forth, we actually need to recognize that we don't become a part of that or even hope for that But just recognize that it's happening. In the book of Ezekiel, over and over and over again, you're going to see judgments brought against Israel, judgments brought against the nation. But none of them are like, let's usher this in. And I also want to point out, in Jeremiah chapter 29, not just in chapter 29, but... Jeremiah 29, 11 is such an important text for us to understand because people will put that on coffee mugs. They'll put that on, you know, computer screens, whatever it is, so that they can remind themselves like that God has a plan for us, that he has a plan for us to prosper, a plan for our good and not to harm us, a, a plan for peace. And people will look at that and say, this is an awesome scripture. We should hold this on our hearts and, and look at this promise, but recognize that that promise came alongside of the fact that they were going to go into a 70-year captivity in Babylon, a horrible captivity that would be terrible on the surface and it was the false prophets like Hananiah saying, "Well, you're not have to you will not have to go through this. In fact, we are we will have peace and safety and so forth." And Jeremiah, the true prophet of God, says that is not the case at all. We are going to go into this captivity, but God has a plan through it. So while it looks horrible on the surface, guess what? God has a clear-cut plan. Did Jeremiah therefore put the chains on and want to—he put them on himself to showcase what would happen. But he is not the one who brings the captivity, so to speak. In the same way— we are not the ones that rebuild a temple. We are not the ones who do these actions, these judgments, and help the nations then come against Israel, and, and so forth as it describes. But what we do is continue to bring forth the gospel. And even when it comes to what goes on during the tribulation, the Bible says the perseverance of the saints is this. Those who are led into captivity, captivity they shall go. But those who die by the sword will die by the sword. Those are those who have the perseverance of the saints. This isn't us waging war physically, but that we bring forth the gospel to every nation and kindred and tongue. That is our job, and that is how we usher in the kingdom. So while this may be Greg Locke, the quote-unquote demon slayer's view on what needs to happen, we also need to ask ourselves what other people are feeling. Because I hope that a number of people that are seeing what's going on, obviously we should be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. That's what the Bible describes or tells us to do, prescribes us to do, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We should want peace there, obviously, in that region. But we also recognize we should want those in Gaza to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my goal. I want to see them know the Lord Jesus Christ as well, just as I want Israel to come to know their Messiah. And it breaks my heart to see carnage in any way, but I also recognize that war does take place, and war does happen. And we recognize that people need to have actions, require reactions, and and it is heartbreaking, but we do pray for peace wherever they can be found. But as we look at this, one thing that I noticed as well, listening uh, recently to some uh, truth bombs, so to speak, that Jason Whitlock, that's the segment, I'm not claiming that these are truth bombs, but one of the things that he had said was the reaction that so many people are having. And I'm going to be honest, I've seen this in a very negative way. Uh, In fact, when it comes to some of the reactions... That He's going to talk about. I've seen in a very negative way, specifically from people in what would be the Christian nationalist or post-millennial viewpoint. I'm not saying all are like this, but for some reason they are just grabbing after every conspiracy theory against Israel. And it seems like they just whitewash other things that are going on in a lot of different ways. And it is very, very interesting to watch in that regard. But Here is what Jason Whitlock said, and I actually can agree with him here, but I don't think that this should mean that we become apathetic.
1: You can call all of us conspiracy theorists. But these conspiracies make more sense than all of the secrets the government has been hiding from us and the lies the government has been telling us. You can't run a country based on secrets and, and keep and maintain trust with the public. And so even if we went further back to 1913 and the people that held secret meetings to create the federal reserve, if we go back to Dwight Eisenhower, as he left office after his presidency telling us hey, you need to be very concerned about the military-industrial complex and a secret society and a secret group of powerful people that are actually controlling things. That was the president of the United States, a war hero, that warned us. And then right shortly after he tells us this, JFK gets assassinated. And we're supposed to believe Lee Harvey Oswald did it by himself. And shot him from behind and did, did all these. Cra- I'm just so, we're conspiracy weary. We're conspiracy leery. We don't know what to believe because we have no reason to trust our very secretive government. I. I, <laughs> I get. And I'm not diminishing the terrible events that happened in Israel. But if you're wondering why people feel exhausted, people feel confused, people don't know what to think, it's not that hard to understand.
0: So yes, I think that a lot of people, as he said, uh, grow weary of the conspiracy because they say, wow, there are a lot of things that people were like, well, those are just weirdos on this side and that, you know, that believe that. But then they found out that, A lot of these conspiracies, so to speak, ended up being true. So people grow weary. And that's what I've seen online. A number of people on Twitter and so forth, they've just grown weary to not trusting anything or anyone, video or or whatever. And when you look at it that way, I can see what's going on. But one of the things we need to do is, rather than just deal with what's going on in the news... I want to look at the history and also biblically what the Bible has to to say in regards to the conflict there. And I think that what people don't realize, and a lot of people are looking at it and saying, you know, we want the Palestinian people. We want, you know, these two states' resolution, which they have rejected multiple times. And this is what they're looking for. And I think that a lot of people— aren't asking the right questions in return to whose land it ultimately is. And this video right here by Nate Buzz, I think he asks a lot of good questions. One specific question I think is really important and then gives a lot of facts that I think are a blessing if we actually listen to him and see what's going on.
2: If you have a Palestinian activist who tells you that Israel is the occupying nation in this land that has been stolen from the Palestinian people, I want you to ask them a very simple question. Can you tell me which year in human history did the current Palestinian Arab identity have complete sovereignty over this landmass? Ask them to give you one year. One year. That's all I'm asking for. Tell me which year did you have complete sovereignty, autonomy and control over this land which you claim is yours. What will happen in that moment is silence. They can't answer the question. And there is a simple explanation why they can't answer that simple question. Because there was no day. There was no year. There was no period of time prior to 1948 that the Arab-Palestinian population had control, authority and ownership over what we know as Israel today. Do you know why that's so important to understand? Because this entire war has been built on one simple deceptive lie the ancestral people of this land are the Jewish people you can't fight the truth of what history says you throw a rock anywhere in this land and you start digging and you find Jewish heritage you find archaeology that points to the truth that this land was and always will be that of the Jewish identity This is one of the most heartbreaking realities that we're witnessing right now. This overflow of violence and hate, jealousy and envy from the Arab-Palestinian population is all based on one simple lie. That the land belongs to them. Now I'm not denying the fact that Arab-Palestinians have lived in the land. I'm making a very, very clear statement here that every single person who watches this video needs to understand. Arab Palestinians, in their current identity, never had ownership completely and solely over this land. This is one of the most important talking points that every single person who is now watching this conflict unfold needs to understand. The violence and hatred and jealousy and barbaric nature of what Hamas is doing is all based on one simple lie that this land at some point in human history belonged to them that they were the rightful owners of it and tragically people allow the pro-Palestinian movement to use words like settlers and occupiers and colonizers in the conversation To slowly convince you of the essential lie they need to hold on to in order to continue their murderous violent and barbaric tactics to bring about genocide to a Jewish population and presence in this land. I'm not against Palestinian people I'm not against Palestinian Arab people living in Israel. I'm against the lies that bring about hatred and violence and the spilling of innocent blood. I know this is going to be upsetting to a lot of people, but I also hope that this video brings a lot of clarity into how deceptive the lies are of this pro-Palestinian narrative. That you just automatically assume that they must have owned it and it was stolen from them. How can the ancestral people of a land somehow be classified as occupiers? Without a doubt, when you go through the history and the archaeology, the Jewish people have a right and presence in this land longer than anybody else. It would be the equivalent of Native Americans in North America, being referred to as occupiers. It would be the equivalent of Aboriginal people in Australia being referred to as colonizers. It is so unbelievable, but yet this narrative continues to exist. So the first thing that we have to do moving forward is to stamp out this immediate and initial lie of the Arab-Palestinian population as if at some point in human history They owned and had complete sovereignty over the land of Israel. They never did. They never, ever did. And now, they're killing people as if they were. This is the real tragedy. This is where the narrative has to change.
0: Now, I think that That question of when Palestine was actually a nation, I think that that is a a really good question to ask people. And you see this from not only Muslim, but also liberal talking points kind of saying this very similar thing. So those are good questions. And one thing I think is really interesting is when we look at the history of the term Palestine or Palestinians— And I I want to show these uh, videos back to back so that you guys can see a little bit of the history of where this terminology comes, because just as the term Christian was a term that was usually used to mock Christians for being followers of Christ, it was a term of degradation. It was a term to look down. It was mocking them. Uh, Actually, even Palestinian is a terminology that comes from a Roman actually using a pejorative term against and mocking the Jews.
1: After crushing the Bar Kokhba rebellion in 135 CE, the Roman occupiers decided to annihilate all Jewish hope for freedom. Now, how do they do that? They renamed Jerusalem, Elia Capitolina, and they also gave the land of Judea a new name, Syria, Palestina, this is the actual origin of the name Palestine.
3: We often hear these historical claims about the Palestinians. In a highly politicized debate, it's worth asking, what's fact and what's fiction? Versions of the name Palestine refer to a small region on the Mediterranean coast bordering Egypt and to the Philistines, an ancient Greek people that, like many others, had vanished over time and have no connection to today's Palestinians. The word Palestine was first formally used by the Roman Emperor Hadrian. During his rule, Hadrian massacred the rebellious Jewish population in the Kingdom of Judea and sent most of the remaining Jewish population into exile. Hadrian was determined to obliterate thousands of years of Jewish presence in the land that is documented with extensive archaeological findings and place names we still use today. And so, he decided to rename the province of Judea, Syria-Palestina, after the vanished nemesis of the ancient Jews, the Philistines. Judea was the last independent state that existed in the land. Century after century, the remaining Jews, as well as other groups, lived under the rule of successive foreign powers. During the time of the Ottoman Empire, the word Palestine was used as a general geographical term describing the land south of Syria. So when that area fell into the hands of the British at the end of World War I, it was only natural that they named it Palestine. The League of Nations, a predecessor to the UN, granted the victorious World War I powers mandates to control the Middle East and prepare the local peoples for independence. This area came under the British Mandate of Palestine. Two populations lived under the Mandate of Palestine, Arab Hi. and Jewish, Hello. both of them considered Palestinians. And so, the Jewish-founded Palestine Symphony Orchestra would upon Israel's independence become the Israeli Philharmonic. The Anglo-Palestine Bank would become the Israeli Leumi bank And this poster, that is often used today to support anti-Israel arguments, was in fact a Zionist ad promoting tourism to the Jewish homeland in Palestine. In 1947, the mandate expired, and the U.N. decided to split the land into independent Jewish and Arab states. The Jews accepted the U.N. resolution and called their state Israel. The Arab world, however, rejected the two-state plan, and right after the last British soldiers departed, attacked their newly independent neighbor. After the war, Jordan annexed the West Bank, and Egypt took over the Gaza Strip which were both assigned to the Arabs as part of the partition plan. Neither country saw a need to set up an independent state in these areas. As a result, an Arab state did not materialize in the former British mandate of Palestine. Palestinian identity continued to grow after 1948, culminating in 1964 when the Arab League initiated the creation of the PLO, the Palestine Liberation Organization, declaring this Arab group the Palestinian people. The PLO demanded the entire area of the Mandate, though it called for the destruction of Israel, but did not challenge Jordanian and Egyptian rule. Arab aspirations continue to focus solely on eliminating the State of Israel, instigating another war in 1967, in which Israel gained control over the former Mandate territories in the West Bank and Gaza.
0: And while I think the hi- history is really interesting and good for us to look at, I think the most important thing is biblically. What are we dealing with here? Specifically when it relates to what we see now in Israel. And a lot of people may say, look, the church has replaced or has superseded that of the promises to Israel. And now all those are just applied to us and has nothing to do with this piece of land. It has nothing to do with what happened on May 14th, 1948, a nation becoming a day, something that Isaiah 66, 8 talks about. And when you look at it, Yeah, they could say, look, they're enemies of the gospel. How could they have anything to do with the covenant of God? And how can they have anything to do with the end times? And Paul actually answers that. In Romans chapter 11, starting at verse 25, he says, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now you have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, so these also now have been disobedient." that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience, so that he may show mercy to all. These enemies of the gospel will actually see their deliverer come from Zion. They will see the same Jesus who left from the Mount of Olives return just as it says in Zechariah. In Zechariah 12.10, it says this, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me, me. The same terminology in Zechariah 12, verse 1, when it says, I, the Lord, Yahweh, I, I, Yahweh, they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. Then in Zechariah chapter 13, it says in that day, A fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for impurity. It will come about in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land and they will no longer be remembered. And I will also remove the prophets and the unclean spirit from the land. This is the time of the Gentiles that will be fulfilled. It will be cut off. And chapter 14, starting in verse one, behold, a day is coming for the Lord, when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city will be captured and the houses plundered and women ravished and half of the city exiled. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights in a day of battle. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, the same Mount of Olives that Jesus left from in Acts chapter 1 that the angels told the disciples he will return in like manner on those same Mount of Olives guess what which is in front of Jerusalem on the east and the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south this goes precisely with the untell, the untell that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew 23, remember, this is unbelieving Israel. Just as in Isaiah 52 and 53, the servant that goes, the Messiah that, that is killed for our iniquities, remember, it says in Isaiah 53 who has believed our report? We thought him smitten, stricken of God but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. That prophecy, I believe, without a doubt, not only has a near fulfillment in that Jesus fulfills it in being the Messiah, but a far fulfillment in Going alongside Zechariah, you see at the end, the Jews, not all of Israel forever will be saved, like John Hagee may teach in a dual covenant theology, but all of Israel at that time, at the end, when they see the one, they see me, Yahweh, the one who they pierce, Jesus Christ, and they grieve bitterly, and that fountain of cleansing is opened up, and this is what Jesus says, as he weeps over Jerusalem, where was he? on the Mount of Olivet, looking at Jerusalem, weeping. But here's what he says. He gives us the until. He says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. The way Luke obviously shows us it's because of the rejection of the Messiah. But here's what verse 39 says. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until, until, until you say, Baruch Haba Hashem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It is at this time when they look at Jesus, Yahweh, the one whom they've pierced, it is at that time that they are brought in. Those who are there, all of Israel at that time, who seem the one whom they have pierced, that is when the fountain of cleansing is opened up. Not prior. These are Jews in unbelief who come to salvation at the Lord's Return. This is why all of this matters. It doesn't mean we ushered in like Greg Locke wants us to. It doesn't mean we remain apathetic towards these things. But we recognize text like from Amos 9.15. We recognize text like, like from Psalm 105, 8 through 11, that make it clear that God made a covenant with him and he will not Forget his covenant. We recognize alongside Jeremiah chapter 31, specifically when you get to verse 35 and through 38. That if the stars in the sky are still there, you can trust that God has not forgotten about Israel. That there is a land there that God has placed there. And that is why it is a place of trembling. It is a burdensome stone. And that's why all of the world is watching and giving their opinions. Because that's exactly what God said would happen. It just brings more trust into the word of God. And it brings us to the same place. Because all of that is true concerning his coming that is going to happen. We know that it's true that he came and put an end to sin when he said to Telestai paid in full. And he not only covered sin like would happen when you look through all of the laws that were given in, Le- in Leviticus and so forth. But now he makes a payment for sin to tell us I paid in full. And if you put your trust in him right now, do not wait. You put your trust in him right now. What happens is on the day of judgment, when you stand before God, he will not see you and all the sins that you have committed. What he will see is that his son has bought and paid for the, the sins that you have committed, that you have been bought and paid for. And you can say, it is not because of something that I have done. But I've placed all of my trust in Jesus Christ alone. And when God sees you on the day of judgment, he sees his son to tell "I paid in full. And he will tell you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy set before you. This has been Chad Davidson. And this is the 511 News.
1: The 511 News
0: with Chad Davidson has been brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. Bringing you news and commentary from a Christian perspective. This show can be heard every Friday wherever podcast shows are available or visit 511news.org. Thank you for joining us and we look forward to being with you next week on the 511 News.